If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. This is just a quick pre-intro to the intro. I recorded today's episode quite a while back, but wanted to save it for October because it is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I just wanted to share some statistics that honestly were very shocking to me. But according to the National Statistics on Domestic Violence, one in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence in their lifetime. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. One in seven women and one in 25 men have been injured by an intimate partner. One in 10 women have been raped by an intimate partner. One in four women and one in seven men have been victims of severe physical violence in their lifetime. Intimate partner violence accounts for 15% of all violent crime. And on a typical day, there are more than 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines nationwide. So I think this is really important to raise awareness on. Not even just like physical violence, but there's just so much that goes into abusive relationships. You guys know I was in one for a number of years, so Lauren's going to share her story today. I'm going to intro her next, but I just wanted to raise a little bit of awareness for domestic violence and um, how prevalent it is. I think I didn't even know a lot of that, so now we'll get into the episode. Welcome to another listener episode of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. Typically with these listener episodes, they are, I will call them anonymous where a listener will come on and and share their story. Today's is a little different. We have someone who is really a expert and advocate in the area of abusive relationships and domestic violence, which I think is such an important point to talk about and we have yet to talk about that in a listener episode. But I have Lauren Coletti on the show today. She is a psychology doctoral candidate. She is a certified sexual health educator, a three-time published author, a Reiki energy healer, meditation teacher, and a yoga instructor. And she came on today to talk about her abusive relationship and her healing from that. I do want to put a trigger warning on the episode today. We do talk about domestic violence. We talk about sexual assault. We talk about sexual violence. So if that is something that 
you'd prefer not to listen to, I would go ahead and skip this episode. But her story is is so, so powerful. We talk about, you know, kind of the circumstances that a lot of the time lead to ending up in a an abusive relationship. We talk about healing from PTSD out of a relationship, which I think a lot of people don't realize is an after effect from that. We talk about the mental gymnastics that a lot of the time we do to stay in a relationship like that. We talk about this idea of of love bombing in the beginning, how a lot of times when you're coming out of a toxic relationship, you are a lot of the time bored because there's no chaos and there's no jealousy and there's no fighting and making up and all of those things. And then we talk about what does progress look like after coming out of a toxic and abusive relationship and how it's not always just getting into something healthy. Sometimes it's, you know, she talked about being in another toxic relationship, but being able to walk away sooner and and being able to rediscover yourself. And she's so knowledgeable. She talks a lot about what happens in the brain when you're going through an abusive relationship. We talk about the idea of how your rose-colored glasses can a lot of the time like take over and make you want to go back to the abuser. And she also talks about, you know, the safety protocol of of how to walk away from something that is abusive. And I just love her transparency and her authenticity so much. She is so articulate in talking about her story. And I'm I'm really looking forward to sharing her with you guys. She also has a podcast. It's called Spiritual and Bipolar, which I love. So all of that will be linked in the show notes if you want to learn more about Lauren. But here is her story. Welcome, Lauren, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. I'm so excited to have you on to talk to you today. Likewise, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. So if if we could start by just telling us a little bit about you, and I mentioned in the intro, typically listener episodes are anonymous, but in Lauren's case, you have a podcast, you speak out about a lot of these topics. So if you could, you know, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Mm, I'd be happy to. So first and foremost, I am a clinical psychology doctoral candidate. I'm close to getting my PhD in psychology, which is super exciting because it's been a very long journey, but well worth it. I'm also a yoga instructor, Reiki energy healer, sexual health educator, and a feminist author. I've published three books on healing after abusive relationships, and I'm also a podcaster. Very impressive. Resume. Oh, <laughs> I try. <laughs> yeah. And I think when, you know, because everything that you do is obviously it takes a lot of time, is a lot of work. So I presume that there's a lot of passion behind all the healing that you do coming from, you know, your personal experience. And I mentioned like, I haven't had a listener episode like around domestic violence. And I think it's still a very misunderstood topic for people who haven't experienced it or haven't known someone that has experienced it. So I would love if you could share your experience in that. Yeah, I'd love to. Absolutely. So when we think of domestic violence, I feel like a lot of people automatically assume impoverished neighborhood with substance abuse and a wife getting beat up by her husband. But it's a lot more trivial and insidious than that. A lot of us, it's the statistic 
is now one in three females in particular have or will experience an abusive relationship. And this is anything from physical, sexual, financial, emotional, and verbal abuse. And it's very complicated. A lot of us don't realize it while we're in the midst of it. And until we come out of it, it's usually then that the rose-colored glasses have come off and we can see where the abuse was occurring. So I myself am a domestic violence survivor. I know you yourself have been in an abusive relationship. And it's unfortunately a very common experience that many of us, male or female, will go through at some point in our lives, particularly if we experienced domestic violence growing up or had some sort of neglect in our childhood. I think there's a lot of, and I don't know if this, if you've noticed this as well, but I think there's so much more awareness around toxic relationships, which I think is really positive. And I think we're focusing a lot more on like the verbal and emotional abuse that takes place in relationships, which that was my case in terms of my relationship. And I, I really only thought of abusive relationships in terms of the physical sense. But I do still think, I think we forget that like physical violence in relationships is still something that is very, it happens a lot. And I think what you said about like the stereotype around it, I can compare it to when I got sober, I really thought, I thought alcoholics were someone that drank first thing when they got up, they had like the brown paper bag, they were shaking, they like wanted to get into the liquor store at 6am, they were like living under a bridge, like I just had all of these ideas of what an alcoholic looked like. And it turns out an alcoholic can be like a 21 year old college student at a really good school getting good grades, but just, it just looks so different. And I think it's the same with domestic violence. Like you said, we have a picture of what we see in movies, but we forget that like really high functioning, successful people experience domestic violence in relationships. Mm, 110%. Thank you for saying that because I do appreciate that the term toxic relationships being brought out more into the light now, but not every toxic relationship is abusive. I would say every abusive relationship is toxic and emotional and verbal abuse are being more spoken about, thank God, right now. So that's really great. But when I myself was going to a domestic violence shelter, it was people of all shapes, sizes, races, ages, socioeconomic statuses. So it doesn't look the same for everyone, like you said. Can you talk about the beginning of that relationship? Because I feel like a lot of these kind of follow a certain pattern. Can you kind of talk about how it got started and then maybe how it started shifting? Mm, Yes, super important. Like you said, they all kind of follow a very similar dynamic, which is interesting. However, growing up when I was 18, 20 years old, they didn't have podcasts, YouTube, the way that we do now, um, which I'm really thankful that the resources are becoming more readily available. So I didn't know the warning signs to look out for. My sister had actually set us up on a blind date. And at 21 years old, I was battling a lot of my own inner turmoil. I had very poor self-esteem. I was engaged in an eating disorder at the time. I had PTSD from a sexual assault that happened my first semester of college. So I was battling a lot of inner chaos. And when I saw his photo, I was like, he's way too handsome for me. He's never going to like me. And I said no to the date for months because I was so afraid of him rejecting me. I thought he was so out of my league. And we went on our first date. He picked me up. 
The second I saw him, I felt like it was love at first sight, instant chemistry, butterflies, just like super attraction that I've never experienced with anyone in my entire life. And um, I fell for him immediately. Like the first date, I didn't know what it was, but there was this strong gravitation towards him. He seemed so sweet, so humble, so cute and adorable and open and talking about his traumas and was just very vulnerable. He paid for the date, took me home. The stars were out. I remember it was Halloween 2015 and I felt like he just knocked my socks off. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And after that, we started going out a few more times. It was an immediate spark. And I was like head over heels in love with him by the third date. Like I was ready for marriage and he won me over, did everything perfectly by the book, kept paying for dinner, would pick me up, open my door, very gentleman and charismatic. And after about a month, things began to shift. And for the worse, it started out as verbal abuse. He would just make little digs at me, start being very jealous, make unnecessary comments, become controlling. Like it starts out like the seed is planted very small, almost to the point where you kind of ignore it or make excuses for them. And I felt in my intuition Something was wrong. However, as someone that's learned to ignore their intuition their whole life by being invalidating and not trusting myself, being told I'm too sensitive, I just shrugged it off. And then over time, things became a lot worse. Yeah. I feel like we have very similar stories. And I think it's hard because everyone in their late teens, early twenties, I shouldn't say everyone, most people in their late teens, early twenties are struggling with their self-esteem. It's because we just don't know what we're doing. We don't know who we are. It's just a really weird time. And I was like a very similar age when I got into my toxic relationship and, and yeah, it was the same thing. It's like, yes, you want to have, like, you want to be attracted to the person that you're seeing, But there's just something about like there is always this really intense gravitational pull and it's like they know exactly what they're doing, whether it's like they're consciously doing it or subconsciously, like they know how to get someone to fall for them quickly. And it's like your walls immediately come down. And then I don't know if this was the case with you, but in my case, he asked me like all of these really deep questions. And I too had a sexual assault. Mine was in high school. And I like confided in him about that. I like confided in him about so many things. And then slowly as the dig started happening, then the things that I disclosed to him were started being used against me. Yeah. I'm so sorry for that experience. It's very horrific and re-traumatizing when someone takes your those areas of yourself that you feel are your weaknesses or that you don't want to disclose to someone and you tell them, you give them your heart and then they use it against you to make you feel even more ashamed. It happened very similarly with me. I had disclosed with him that I was sexually assaulted when I was 18 and he blamed it on me. He said, why would I want to date a slut that lets guys sexually assault her or something along those lines. And that was being the first red flag. But as a survivor and someone that has been traumatized, that I hadn't worked through that, 
I said, you know what? He's right. I'm like damaged goods. Why would I let someone do that to me? Why didn't I try harder to stick up for myself? And that's when the gaslighting starts taking place. When you start blaming everything on yourself, it's a way for them to manipulate you. And it's this perfect equation of, I will make you feel like damaged goods. So that way your capacity to put up with really poor behavior gets, it's like, it's the, this is the perfect equation because then you start feeling like, oh, I, I can never get anyone better. Like I'm, I'm damaged goods. This guy loves me. This person loves me. Why would I walk away? Because, you know, I'm never going to get anything better than that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just this perfect equation that, that leads you to feel dependent on someone that even if your intuition is telling you like, this is not good, it's, you can start convincing yourself. And then on top of that, the gaslighting where you just don't even know which way is up anymore. Mm, 110%. I think it's a gradual, somewhat invisible lowering of your self-worth over time so that you feel trapped in the relationship. Like that's what you deserve, or you're never going to get someone that would love you the way that quote unquote they do. I kind of had this internal dialogue with myself and with him sometimes where I felt like, well, I feel grateful that he loves me because I'm so broken. I'm so worthless. I'm so damaged that I don't have anyone else that would ever put up with me air quotes the way that he does. And it's just this chaotic cycle of this false monologue that you'll develop with yourself that keeps you in that dynamic over time, which makes it so hard to break out of. Yeah. And I remember too, like, which sounds so crazy. So I was 18 when I got in the relationship. So by the time I was like 20, I remember being like, I've put it like, I've been in this relationship for years Mm -hmm. now. Like I had this idea of like, oh, I should stay in it because I've been in it this long. And which is just wild to me because now it's like, you know, I'm in my thirties now. And like, if I was being put up with that, I wouldn't care how long I had been in that, but it's, it's where you're at, at that time. And were you kind of isolated from friends and family or like how, what was your support system like at that time? Absolutely. A lot of things that abusers will do is isolate you from your loved ones. It is a form of psychological abuse mechanism that they'll kind of be very possessive over you and who you spend your time with making you feel bad if you do anything that doesn't involve them. So I actually was in undergrad at the time and he convinced me to stop going to school so that we could spend more time together. So I had actually dropped out of school during my bachelor's degree and I got very physically ill. I'm convinced it was a psychosomatic reaction of all the stress going on. So my days and nights just revolved around him. He would want to FaceTime me all the time. I'd have to show him where I was so that he knew I wasn't lying about my whereabouts. I had a lot of guy friends at the time because I worked in retail and I was in a department where there was all male coworkers that became some of my best friends and I wasn't allowed to talk to them anymore. He would go through my phone. So I really didn't have anyone to support me besides him. So I was so grateful when I got into a domestic violence center for counseling. And I realized that I was not alone in this. 
Yeah. And just as you're talking, I'm like, man, the story is the, it's like this, the story is the same. It's so wild. And, and there is this feeling of like control is like, oh, they love me. They love me so much. And I remember being out of that relationship. I've even gone through conversations like this with my husband where I get almost, I would feel insecure if someone wasn't more possessive over me. And I would be like, well, what if someone did this? And he's like, I don't like, I don't know. Like you're, if we're (laughs) in a relationship, then like, I don't need to like fight. You know, it's like you get so used to the chaos and the possession and the control, meaning love when really like that's, that's not what it means at all. Mm, Yeah. You learn what love is, but that's false definition of love. They tell you that they hurt you or control you or inflict pain upon you because they care so much about you that they can't be without you. And it seems somewhat romantic at the time, but it's really not. It, it is a form of abuse. And they instill, um, I learned this term fog, which stands for fear, obligation, and guilt, that if that's going on in your relationship a majority of the time, it's probably unhealthy. And still to this day, five years later, I'm relearning to trust and listen to my inner voice because it was so tuned out at Yeah. I mean, I think if you, I remember my therapist told me this, like if you ignore your inner compass for too long, it stops pointing North. Mm -hmm. Like it'll completely get drowned out. Like you said, and you know, obviously I assume the relationship progressed and got, and got a lot scarier and all of those things. And what was that like? And, And then what was your turning point for being able to, to walk away and, and maybe talk about to like, how long it took, like how much convincing you had to do. And maybe there was like, okay, I'm leaving. No, I'm not. I think people don't understand like it takes how much it takes to be able to walk away from something like that. Oh yeah. It's super scary. And I hate when people are just like trying to be comforting. So they're like, if you're that unhappy, why don't you just leave adds to that shame and feeling like something's wrong with you, that you're broken but it's not as easy as that, especially with domestic violence. It could be life-threatening and dangerous to leave. So that's why it's really important to have the correct tools and support system to safely exit the situation. But we were on and off for two years. We had broken up, I want to say three times because the, the abuse escalated. It started becoming physical and sexual abuse as well on top of the emotional. So it definitely, I was shutting down. My whole body was shutting down from head to toe. And I didn't have a job at the time. I couldn't work. I couldn't go to school. I had nothing besides him. And I did notice my mental health started to decline. I became very suicidal. I had post-traumatic stress disorder. I was on like 10 different medications and I felt like I was getting nowhere, but it was the main factor was him that I was still involved with him. I felt like I loved this person so much and there definitely was a connection at times. I felt like we could connect on some level. However, when there's abuse at play, abuse and love aren't, cannot coexist. So it took leaving, I want to say twice where I tried to leave him. But afterwards I had these severe withdrawals because the drama can become addicting. Like your neurophysiology becomes wired to constantly be expecting the highs, the lows, the walking on eggshells, the honeymoon phase. And it's this cycle of abuse. 
So the final time that I left and I never looked back, which looking back, I'm so proud of myself because I wanted to go back to school. And I knew that if I stayed with him, I'd never be able to finish school. I had very bad brain fog. Like I said, I was drugged up on all these different psychotropic medications that it was not possible for me to go to school and be in a relationship with him. And during that time, 2017, I was diagnosed with stage one ovarian cancer. And I know for a fact that that was my body's way of telling me, girl, it's now or never, it's him or you, you have to pick or you're just going to end up dying. So I had to get a surgery to have the cyst or tumor. I don't really remember what it was, biopsied and removed. And that night he ended up raping me and I wasn't allowed to have sexual intercourse for, I think, two months. And he ended up raping me. And I was like, you know what? F you. I'm going to carry it. So I was like, F you. And I broke up with him through text the next day. And I never spoke or heard from him ever again. So that was five years ago. And uh, here I am today. <laughs> I ended up saving my own life. So I think it, at the end, I chose myself, which I'm really happy that I ended up doing that. It was the best choice, even though it was hard, very hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry you had, to, I mean, that is just, it's awful. And I'm so glad you, like you said, you did choose yourself. And, and I want to go back to what you said about all of the things that you were doing, like you were on medication. And I hear that a lot in DMs where people will say like, I'm in therapy, I'm doing all this, I'm doing all that. And it's like, you can be in therapy, you can be doing everything possible, like exercising, eating right, all of the things. But if you're not addressing, like, you can't do the work for someone else, you know, you, you can't drink enough water to cure like a toxic relationship. You can't like go to therapy enough to cure a toxic or abusive relationship. That's just not, not the case. And I think some people believe that they're giving up on something or that it, and when you're in something like that, you're convinced it's all you. So you're thinking you're doing something wrong to bring all of this on you. And that's like such a, like a high burden to carry. And it causes so much guilt and shame. It's too much pressure to put on yourself. I definitely had been there. I started reading all these make your marriage workbooks, even though I wasn't even married. I was just like, maybe if I get good at relationships, because he would always tell me you're such a bad girlfriend. Anyone would have left you by now. You're lucky. I love you and put up with you. So I tried doing all these self-help, like holistic healing things to fix myself. And when it came to his end, he wasn't meeting me halfway. He didn't think anything was wrong with him. I, at one point, gave him an ultimatum. I said, listen, I'm doing all this work. If you don't go to therapy, then this just isn't going to work. And for three months, he lied and told me that he was going to therapy. I eventually found out that he never went. And I just want to say, like you said, if you're doing all this work, but you have a thorn in your side. It's not until you rip out the thorn that you're actually going to get better. You could drink water, you could do aromatherapy, you could meditate, you could do yoga, but you'll still bleed to death if you have that thorn in your side. We can't heal in the place where we're wounded. So I just want to make that distinction. Yeah, no. And I think that's a really important distinction to make. And when you were, you know, able to, to walk away from that, I think there's this 
there's this idea. I used to call it like, I felt like I was starting my life again from like ground zero because I did lose friends and I didn't drop out of school, but like, I like stopped living in the dorms. Like I basically like all I did was go to class. And so I like, didn't have any friends at school. So what was your process like in being able to start rebuilding from scratch basically? Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful question. It does oftentimes feel like everything is being taken from us and the rug is swept from underneath our feet. And we're starting from scratch from ground zero up. And that's really terrifying because what we're not familiar with the unknown can be very intimidating. So I had to jump and trust that the net would appear kind of situation. (laughs) You don't know what's on the other side. And I think a lot of us stay in dysfunctional relationships because we know what to expect. It's somewhat easier to stay in that familiar pain than deal with the devil you don't know, so to speak, kind of thing. So, you know, looking back at it, similar to you, I felt like oh man, my life is over. I'm 22 years old. I've been with him for two years. Like why go back now? If I give up, then that means that I'm not trying hard enough or I don't love him. And looking back, I'm like, girl, you were so young. Like (laughs) I 22 years old, you have your whole life ahead of you. Like that's the time to explore and try new things and meet new people. So for me, it came down to taking care of myself every single day, committing myself to going to therapy every week, committing myself to show up for myself and do nice things for myself that I had wished that he would do for me and to start treating myself the way that I wanted to be treated and give myself what I didn't ultimately get. And for me, I loved reading. I loved listening to audiobooks and like just positive affirmations that would make me kind of relearn who I am again without this person. Cause often in codependent relationships, that person becomes enmeshed with us and we don't know who we are without them, but it helped me to remind myself, like you were a person before him and you will also be your own person again after him. So it's all about refining your independence. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 
11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Yeah, and I just want to back up a little bit because I realized I wanted to ask and, and forgot, but can you kind of walk through some like safety tips in terms of someone who, because I get this a lot where maybe they've already left the relationship, but the person continues to contact them. And so can you just kind of walk through some safety tips for someone who is exiting a relationship like that? Yeah, absolutely. Safety is first and foremost, most important. It's very difficult, scary time. A lot of times our abusive partners will take our devices, know our passwords, go through our phones. So the first thing that I did was I got a brand new phone number. It cost me like $30 through AT&T, but it was well worth it so that they could not contact me. I was very hypervigilant and scared because he knew where I lived. He knew where I worked. He had shown up to my job. So for a little while, I had to have the security guard at Target walk me to my car every single night. Also know where your local police precinct is. If you ever have a car that you feel is following you, always drive to your police precinct. A lot of places, I'm in New York, but I know most states have a domestic violence precinct advocate that will help survivors safely leave that type of relationship. So you can always find out local resources at your police department. And a lot of places have domestic violence centers or organizations where an advocate will work with you. A lot of them offer free counseling, group counseling, individual counseling, and the hotline and ncadv.org are some good resources that you can call the hotline, talk to a trained crisis counselor, and get local organizations in your area that can help you with that. I got chills when you were talking about that. I will put all those resources in, in the show notes of this episode, but I think when you said that you asked the target security guard to walk you out to your car every night... I think sometimes when you have been in a situation where you feel really alone, you assume that you can't ask people for help. You feel alone. And I think asking for help is like a tremendous act of self-love. When people ask like, how do I show myself self-love? Ask for help. And I think you would be surprised as to how many people you know, can show up, whether that's a stranger or a friend, or maybe it's a friend that you lost in the relationship and reaching out and saying like, we underestimate how much people are willing to help us because we've been placed in this situation where it feels like it's us against the world. And that's just not, that's just not the case. Whether you, you know, if you feel unsafe, duck into a store and tell the, like a store employee, like, Hey, can I, you know, hang out here? I think someone's following me or anything like that you know, and I'm sure that target security guard was like way more than happy to be able to be there for you during that time. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It was humiliating and I was so embarrassed, but 
it's so much better to take these precautions and extra steps and be safe rather than sorry. And getting help is so brave. Like it's a lot easier to just shut it down and think we could go at it alone and, you know, not want to embarrass ourselves, but it's much more humbling and courageous to say I'm struggling. And people most of the time are ready to help you and jump to take care of you. And if they're not, then that's probably not the right person for you that's judging you and shaming you. And I think that it is fairly common to lose friends, unfortunately, in these types of scenarios, because A, they either don't understand and they get frustrated with you and discouraged and they're like, I don't want to deal with this. Or B, they, they're pushed away like by proxy of the relationship. So if you just connect with someone, tell them what's been going on, I think that they would appreciate that honesty. I know I always appreciate the truth and people are transparent and authentic with me. And it's very important to have at least one person, a friend, family, therapist that will support you during this time because it is not easy. Yes. And I always remember my grandma used to always say, if you want to make a friend, ask for help or tell them a secret. And it's very, (laughs) it's like being vulnerable. Like, Hey, I'm here. I, I need help. Or I want to tell you something that's, you know, very close to me. Sure. And I'd love if you could talk about the idea of recovering from PTSD from a relationship. I know that was something when I got, I remember I was in therapy, gosh, this was like five years post the relationship. And the therapist said like, you have PTSD from this relationship. And it was very, I thought PTSD came from a singular occurrence of something. And then I learned that there's I could be wrong, but I believe it's called like complex PTSD where it's a regular occurrence. So if you could talk about that and then how you've been able to to heal from that. Yeah, for sure. So PTSD, we often think of war vets or if you had a house fire and these single occurrences that make a huge, big impact on our lives adversely. Complex post-traumatic stress disorder are multiple events, like you said, like being in a domestic violence relationship witnessing domestic violence growing up, being a sexual assault survivor on numerous accounts. It's those digs constantly that create complex PTSD. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever gone through. Sometimes I'm so like privileged that I forget what that was like, but it did take very long. And I started getting so disheartened because I'm like, it's been three years. I should be over it by now. Oh, it's been five years. When will I get over it? And then I thought something was wrong with me that I was still getting flashbacks and nightmares and things like that five years later, but nothing is wrong with you. That is completely normal. And you have to be patient with yourself and be kind with yourself because recovery isn't linear. For me, I went to therapy every single week. So it's very crucial to find a trauma-informed psychotherapist. I love EMDR. I did that last year and it's so helpful. I think somatic healing methods are very important. For me, that was body work and getting massages every so often to learn safe healing touch again and rebuild that trust with another person to touch me and trust that they won't violate me. Journaling, I found to be beautiful. Because a lot of times in these relationships, we lose our voice, we lose our sense of self, we don't know who we are. So for me, journaling, podcasting, talking about it, 
writing about it helped me to reclaim my voice and embody my inner power that I had lost at that time. I've never thought about journaling in that way, but that's exactly why journaling is so important. It's like a place where you can have your voice without feeling like you're too much or you're not being listened to or that you need to change it in any way. And I agree on the EMDR was so crucial for me. I did it for about a year and a half. It's intense by, you know, don't get me wrong, but it's very powerful. And, and I think you talked about like years down the road, still having nightmares, still having, I mean, mine's been almost 10 years now. And I still sometimes think like, I go like once a year, I Google him just to like, yeah. see, like, just for like, where is he? You know, I don't know. It's like this weird thing I go through about once a year, but I've stopped realizing like that there's nothing wrong with me. It's just like this thing that I do. And I'm going to, you know, you just don't forget stuff like that, but you learn to, to live with it. And I think another thing, and I would love if you could talk about this. I think another thing that's normal is to put on those rose colored glasses and sometimes miss parts of that. That also doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It just, that's just like a normal thing that we do. So if you could talk about that and then maybe some safeguards that you had in place, if you ever thought maybe I should call him, maybe you were having a low point, anything like that. Completely. It's interesting what trauma does to our brains. And we get so flustered with ourselves. Like, why am I still thinking of this person 10 years later? Like, shouldn't I be over it? Why do I still care? Why do I still have feelings? And the traumatic response, it impacts all areas of our psyche. It shrinks our memory system, the hippocampus, where we store memories so that things become distorted because a lot of times we're in that fight, flight, freeze mode. And it's a trauma response. Our brain is trying to keep us alive and do what is it's trained to do. So it can easily become cognitive dissonance, distortion, and that is okay. It's all part of the healing process. Our brain is learning to reorganize and get centered back to a like homeostasis in a sense. So yeah, I struggled for so long. I was in relationships after that one. And I felt like I was still in love with my ex. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? This isn't fair to the people I'm dating. I'm wishing they were him, but he was so terrible. So why should I still want him? And then I'd go through periods like, maybe he wasn't that bad. Like maybe it really was me. And it's kind of like this torture that we put on ourselves where the rose colored glasses are on because it was a relationship. It was for X amount of time. We did care about that person. We do have memories together. So it's like any breakup, except with a whole lot more (laughs) like junk thrown on top of it. So when I would call, I used to try to call my ex, but luckily he blocked me, which I thought was horrible at the time, but I realized it was a blessing in disguise. And similar to you, like every now and then I look him up on Instagram and I think that that's normal. Is it helpful? Maybe, maybe not. Got to do what you got to do, but you, you can't hold yourself back because then you're just repressing your feelings and stuffing down your emotions really never helped anyone. So I think when you're feeling like you want to reach out to your ex or drive by their work or call them, text them, email them, we always find a way. <laughs> Maybe perhaps try having a list of people that you can call for support or doing a self-care activity that would make you feel better because a lot of times what we do in the moment to feel good doesn't feel good in the long run. 
So true. And you know, people that follow my page, this podcast, like I'm all about no contact and cutting out your ex, but like, just so people know, like when I got out of my toxic relationship, it took a year for me to like fully never talk to him again. It took a whole year where I would like go to his house. I would answer his calls. I loaned him money. Like I was paying for things. I loaned him money. We would like sleep together. It was, it was, you know, not healthy, you know, quote unquote, not healthy by any means. And I had to learn a lot of lessons the hard way. And I still believe no contact is definitely the way to go. But I also think the idea of like holding yourself to like this level of shame where you feel like I can't believe that I still think have positive thoughts about him. I can't believe that I want to call him like, don't add that on to yourself, like do everything you can to not reach out, but then also like, don't beat the crap out of yourself because you are thinking that way. Yeah. It just turns into a shame spiral. And a lot of times it's, don't get me wrong. It's really great to cry it out and sit with your emotions and stillness. But I learned that I often would get stuck there and just be hysterically crying on the floor for four hours. So now what I do is I set a timer for myself. I'm like, all right, Lauren, you can cry as much as you want. Feel sorry for yourself for 10 minutes. But after 10 minutes, you're getting your ass up. You're getting off your phone and you're going about your day. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And, you know, being five years out of that relationship, can you talk a little bit about relationships that you've had since then? And, you know, what has come up? How, like, what are some lessons learned getting back into new relationships? Yeah. It's been a process trying to progress from unhealthy to healthy. And I was listening to a podcast the other day that said, like, if you grew up in a safe home where your parents were predictable, you were having your needs met, we often find those people always in like a healthy, happy relationship. And we're like, why do they get all the good ones? But if we grew up in a household that felt unsafe, where our needs even emotional needs weren't being met where things were tumultuous and unpredictable. Subconsciously, we gravitate towards what's familiar and will entertain those relationships where there's drama and chaos and things like that. And that was my experience. So I'm trying to unlearn that and break that pattern. It's been so hard though, because I did meet someone that seemed like a healthy guy and it felt so boring. I was like, I'm not that super physically attracted to him. We're not fighting 24 seven. So let me self-sabotage and start a fight. And it's kind of unlearning your old conditioning and trying to program yourself towards healthy, which doesn't always feel like the way the fun, toxic up and down relationship did, but it's what's probably best for you in the long run. Wanting that stability and security is I think what a lot of us ultimately want in the end. Yeah. And I want to say like, that's a very common experience. I think like, I feel like an example that my therapist gave is like when someone experiences a sexual trauma, they'll either go one of two ways. They'll either like completely stay away from sex or, or not, and do the total opposite and become very promiscuous. And both experiences are very normal. So it's normal to come out of a toxic, abusive, toxic relationship and immediately go for someone very safe and feel great with that. And then it's also normal to like go the opposite direction and continue to do that. Not because there's something quote unquote, like wrong with you. It's just, you have to relearn and you have to get to a place of, I just firmly believe that we're in relationships that are congruent with how we think about ourselves. And 
if you are in a healthy relationship, but you don't feel deserving of that, it doesn't feel right. And so it's not going to work. You have to get to a place where you feel healthy on your own. And then that way, when you're with someone healthy, you're like, okay, this feels normal. This feels okay. This feels safe. But it's not just something where you can go, oh, I was in an abusive relationship that didn't go well. So now I just have to be in something healthy. It's, it's not as simple as that. I wish it was, right? That would make yeah. it so much easier. Yes, you're 110% right. We tend to, you actually put out a podcast on this several weeks ago that we attract people that reflect how we're feeling about ourselves internally. If we don't feel good enough, if we feel invisible, will attract people that validate that belief for us because they're showing us how we feel about ourselves. And it doesn't mean to say that, oh, you have to be in love with yourself to date someone that's going to be in love with you. But I think it's the little things like for me after that relationship, the next seriously serious relationship I got in, it was toxic, but I ended it a lot sooner. So it's not like we have to go from this abusive, like, life-threatening relationship where we feel broken to meeting the love of our lives and getting married and living happily ever after. Maybe that happens, but it's not realistic for everyone. I think it's about just doing the next right thing and even small steps. Like if you were in a abusive relationship several years ago, and now you find yourself in another abusive relationship, maybe just practicing speaking up more, maybe just practice advocating for yourself if it's safe to do so. We're saying no to things instead of people pleasing and saying yes. You know, that's something that I've had to work on my people pleasing. It's gotten a lot better. Now, well, actually, if I don't like food at a restaurant, they, they give me the wrong order. I will send it back. Three years ago, I would have, that would have been my worst nightmare. But now I send it back and I advocate and speak up for myself in small ways And I think that that's a beautiful big step forward where we look back at, oh, 10 years ago, even 10 months ago, I might not have done that or reacted that way. I think that's a really important point. And I think a lot of people believe that transformation comes in these, like, they call it like burning bush moments where like, you feel like you're struck by lightning and all of a sudden you're like a completely different person where you go to like one therapy session and you're like, I see the world completely different. That's not really how it works. It works by asking for the food that you want at a restaurant. It comes from if someone asks you to do something and you don't want to do it, you say no. Like that's where change comes from. I always, my therapist one time gave me the the assignment that every time I went to a restaurant, I had to ask for like extra sauce or like extra napkins, (laughs) even if I didn't need it just to like practice, like being not so small. And that's like where the change comes from. That's why a lot of the time, if someone gives you advice, like, you know, something I, you know, just had a baby a few months ago, I've been feeling really, really overwhelmed. And someone gave me advice of like, why don't you try working out for 15 minutes every morning? And I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't feel like it's going to change my core problem, but it does because I'm just putting myself first Mm -hmm. in the mornings every day. So I think a lot of these changes, like you said, it's not necessarily jumping from abusive to healthy. It's, it's the in-between. I guess that's the answer. It's like not black and white. It's the in-between. Yes, that's so true. It's these things that like would have mortified us in our past and maybe they still do rightfully so, but we do them anyway. Like 
a lot of times I, I find that with women, we're always apologizing because <laughs> we're yeah. society tells us we need to be apologetic. So I've stopped apologizing for everything. When I'm walking in the store, I stopped saying, sorry, even when I haven't bumped into someone, but they just <laughs> want to pass by, I stopped saying, sorry. And it's not about being rude, but it's about owning and claiming your right to take up space. Like you said. Yeah. I feel like I could talk to you for so long. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> I guess I want to end with kind of a two-part question. What's been the most surprising thing that you have learned about yourself in the last five years since walking away from that abusive relationship? Yeah. So I used to think that because I was in a violent relationship that, like I said, that I was wrong. I was bad. Something was wrong with me that I wasn't lovable. No one would ever want me. And I used to feel so weak because of that, because I would look at the points where I'm like, why didn't I just leave then? Why couldn't I see the warning signs? Why didn't I trust myself? But now looking back, I realized that that didn't make me weak. Leaving that relationship and going through what I had gone through, it's made me who I am. And I'm a very friggin' strong person. <laughs> like I have become so much more resilient. I've discovered my life path through that relationship even though so many bad things came out of it, so much more good came out of it than not. You know, I wrote books. I met some of my best friends. I am getting my doctorate now. So instead of looking at like what I wish I would have done, I try to see the beauty that has come from the chaos. Yeah, it is. It's so beautiful. And I used to feel really ashamed to to talk about my relationship because I there was a time where I felt like, dumb for being like, why would I put myself through? That makes no sense when you're talking mm -hmm. about it that yeah. way. But then I've learned not only how common the experience is, but like how much good came out of it. And my, my last question that I want to end on is let's pretend there, there's someone listening to this episode who is in something that they know they shouldn't be, and maybe knows that they probably should walk away from something, or maybe it is someone who just walked away, but is like having a lot of doubts in their head that they should go back. What would you say to them? It's normal to have doubts. It's normal to have fears and it's okay to be completely devastated, heartbroken and grieving. Like let yourself grieve. Don't give yourself a timeline by like the end of this month. If I'm not feeling better, I have to do something about it. Sometimes there's really nothing to do. And when we're trying to leave any relationship that just might not be serving our highest good anymore, it doesn't help to put that pressure and expectation on ourselves that we should be doing better or, oh, I'm disappointing myself. Like, yes, maybe sometimes we abandon ourselves and we lose ourselves along the way, but it is possible to find yourself and come out even better on the other end. So I found when I'm trying to leave a relationship prematurely before I'm ready, I'll just go right back and it will just, the cycle will keep on going. So give yourself the time and space to feel the feelings to work through them and then to decide what you want to do when and if you are ready. And if you're not, there's no shame in that either. It's okay. Like you are worthy of love, no matter what you decide, just try to be around people that remind you of how amazing and beautiful and precious you are every single day because you are. That's so beautiful. I remember mm -hmm. I had a mentor tell me like, you're going to stay in a relationship until 51% of the time is not working for you. But if you're getting, still getting 50% good, like you're going to stay. So mm -hmm. don't like, stop saying you should be out of the relationship. Just like, it'll become abundantly clear when it's time, basically. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. If you could share a little bit about your podcast or about your books or where people can, you know, find more resources and information about you, that would be awesome. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you so much, Kendra. And I just want to say like, you're helping so many people, including myself. So I'm abundantly grateful for the work that you are doing. And my books, as far as they go, you can find me on Amazon author. The books are Trauma, Tears and Triumph, volume one, volume two. My last book was an ebook called Chasing Boys. And my fourth book coming out this year is called Love is Insanity, which I'm really excited for. My podcast is called Spiritual and Bipolar. Um, It could be found on Anchor, Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts. And I'm most active on Instagram at Lauren M. Coletti. That's just my name spelled out. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I will link all that stuff in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on and really being able to utilize your story for good. I think it's so beautiful when people can do that. So yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.